This episode of Stay Tuned contains harsh language, descriptions of violent and sexual acts. Audio discretion is advised. Greetings, grave robbers, bastards and tramps, blood suckers, motherfuckers, road trash and vamps. To the queer and the strange, in the crowd and on the stage. To the violent, the malevolent, and those seeking the grave. Welcome home. I am your master of mayhem and god of the stage, Julian Slink. Actually, it's TV's Noah Houlihan. And welcome to the Blood Drive! I realized I do the intro really bad, so I just decided to do the Blood Drive intro, as this is the final episode of these solo episodes where we talk about sci-fi's Blood Drive. A little bit of a delay on getting this one out, but I couldn't leave you bleeders in the dust waiting for the final episode. We need to talk about this ending to Blood Drive. But before we can do that, we have to pour one out. I'm going to be honest, I'm being real simple today. I have what I am calling a Primo IPA, which is just Nugget Nectar because it's my favorite beer. Mm. All right, we got a lot to get to. So we're, go- we're flying past uh, Pour One Out. We're jumping into episode 11, episode IX, the only one to have a Roman numeral tag in their title, Rise of the Primo. It is the final day of the race, uh, as it says on screen, and there will be no racing done today. So the race is actually over, but there is going to be more contest here as they arrive at the Kentucky Funplex. I'm sorry, the Kentucky Fairplex, and we will see the ending and the crowning of the Primo at the end of this episode. Now, the man in white is there, and he is talking to Julian, and he explains to him that Blood Drive is going live. So not only is Blood Drive being taken to network, the finale will now air live for everyone to see, which timeline-wise doesn't make a lot of sense, but that's what's happening. So, live finale of Blood Drive. Tonight will be the final episode of Blood Drive. Even though there's two more episodes after this, this is the live finale of Blood Drive. And then the man in white says afterwards, they're pulling the pluck. So this is the end of Blood Drive in terms of the show Blood Drive that exists in universe controlled by Heart Enterprises. Industries. Heart Enterprises or Heart Industries? It doesn't matter. By Heart. So what's happening now is we're leading towards this grand finale. There's Akibot everywhere. Tons and tons of Akibots welcoming in all of these racers that are arriving through Bloodgates. So it's implying that even though what we've been seeing has been this race across America, that blood drives have been existing and taking place all over the world. 
And now the finalists from all the different blood drives are meeting at the Kentucky Fairplex. So all of these uh, people are arriving from around the world. Uh, we find out that the couple, Dami and what's his name, Cliff, they're still alive and they're very excited to be here. It's like we're finally in sync again. I can't believe we wasted all that money on therapists. Remember the last one? I definitely remember the last. And they also, of course, murdered the therapist. There's this weird character that really didn't get much play that I need to talk about here. And it's this man covered in tattoos. You might remember him from a previous episode where Slink threatens to use a drill on his urethra and he's like game for it. There's some sort of relationship between this tattooed man and Slink that goes beyond servitude. And now that the blood drive is going to be canceled, Slink is feeling like very defeated, and the tattooed man is no longer interested in Slink because he's lost his way. He's given up. So now there's also like this odd lover's quarrel that's taking place here on the final days, or final day of Blood Drive. Uh, we then learn that this is going to be a battle royale of sorts to decide that the last person standing shall be the Primo. Uh, <laughs> Aki welcomes everyone on behalf of myself, which I think is a great line and announces who will be in the first round. Now, Grace and Arthur are really hoping that they are in the same round together so that they can work together as a team. And they have this like dialogue going on while the competitors uh, of the first round are being announced. And I tried to pick out as many of the names that are said that are gonna be in the first round because they're all incredible. <laughs> so while Grace and Arthur are talking, the announcement is being made that the first round will be Ice Pick, Hammer Bro, Face Eater, Slay Dog, Arthur, Hard Slab, Fist Fucker, Axe Wound, the, His Honorable Slit Licker Third. Abby the Nun, Ninja Jim, Smallpox, and the Grim Reaper. <laughs> Those are just some of the ones I was able to pick out. I really enjoy that they, they slip all of these in there, and if you're really paying attention to the fight that takes place, you can pick out who's who <laughs> based on their costumes. It's just, it's a great detail that, you know... They had the name Ninja Jim, and they cast a Ninja Jim to die <laughs> in this first round. Meanwhile, uh, Chris, who has left Aki, the, the human Aki, the humanized Aki, she's still a robot, but she has human feelings now, on the side of the road covered in rainbow vomit, uh, he's alone on his way to save Arthur. And about halfway there, he, his GPS says, uh, in 2,000 miles, turn right. And he instead turns around. He can't be without Aki. So he returns to Aki. 
And their new plan is, since Aki can't leave Hart, is they're going to go back to Hart and trash the tracking system so they can both go. Uh, Slink asks if we are ready. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the end of the road. And says, for those about to die, we salute you. Arthur, who's now in this battle royal situation. So it's all the people that I've named and they're surrounded by like chain link fence and the cars, like they're not driving, but the cars are present. And they're just going to have this, like, big fight to the death. And Arthur refuses to fight. He refuses to kill anybody. Uh, He ends up kind of in a brawl with uh, the nun, uh, Abby the nun. And instead of killing her, spares her life. And gives a speech about how all this death is over, that uh, goodness will prevail, and that everyone there is under arrest, and everybody just laughs. Uh, The man in white appears and says, all right, Arthur, if you're not going to fight, I'll turn up the heat a bit. Reveals that Grace is in a cage surrounded by fire. Like, what is that, Saul... Seven. (laughs) And he says that he's going to turn up the heat a bit. And if he refuses to fight, he'll cook Grace alive. Grace is just fed up at this point. It was just like, all right, dude, we're here. (laughs) It's the finale. Finally explain why you're so obsessed with me. And the man in white's like, oh, you want to know? You want to know why I'm so obsessed with you? And he starts to strip uh, until he is naked. He then rips his own skin off to reveal this whole time he has been karma. Which he kind of, he had to be. (laughs) We kind of knew he absolutely had to be karma. Uh, based off of, like, the information we had and the the pink fingernail polish, the lollipops and things like that. Uh, It turns out that the man in white, the person pulling all the strings the whole time, has been karma. And Slink didn't even know. Slink is absolutely shocked by this. This, I think, is a good time to mention that I did, in fact, reach out to the actor who played the man in white. I reached out to Sean Cameron Michael and asked, you know, did you know the whole time? Were you given all the scripts ahead of time? Uh, And did you know you were karma the whole time? Or was that a surprise? Because I know that with, say, uh, The Good Place, they kept the season one twist from them for a bit. Uh, So I was curious about that. And uh, Sean was nice enough uh, to reply and say that uh, he received all the scripts beforehand so he knew what was coming, all the twists and turns. From his point of view, uh, the backstory of the old man from Heart was once a living character. And when he died or maybe was killed, uh, she took over the identity. And that's who you meet in the story. Uh, And it was very intentional to... Uh, give away all of, you know, the hints with the the uh, 
the nail polish and the, the lollipop it was all intentional. Uh, he tried to play it a little bit feminine to, to kind of give away uh, the, the game a little bit or give hints at least. Uh, so thank you, by the way, for Sean, for, for reaching back out to me. I greatly, greatly appreciate that. But that is our big twist. And the stakes continue to rise as we enter round two because people are dying all around Arthur, even though Arthur's not doing the killing. Um, and Slink has to say it's time for round two, which is sponsored by the Blade Mando or the Blade Nado, which is a weed whacker. <laughs> so like in the middle of this, there's just like this weird spawn con, which I thought was very, very funny. Round two is brought to you by the Hot Enterprises gas-powered trimmer with titanium blades. The Blade NATO. And we actually get like a little commercial for the Blade NATO. There's a, a great scene as we cut back to Aki and Chris and Hart, where they are trying to figure out a way to uh, destroy the, the tracking system. And Chris is like, oh man, I hate computers. And Aki's like, hey, which is a great joke. And they realize they have to get into this particular room with computers, but it's guarded by security guards. And Chris is like, we'll get past there. Don't worry. Security guards are dumb as shit. And Aki goes, weren't you a security guard yesterday? Great joke. Like, I'm glad we're still having fun with all of this. Back at the Battle Royale, uh, the tattooed man is now abandoned Slink and is now on Team Karma. And Arthur and Abby are now kind of working as a team. They're not killing anybody, but they're watching each other's backs, you know, just fighting to stay alive without the murder taking place. Uh, Slink decides that it is time to raise the stakes, releases Grace. So, again, he wants to create the best drama for his masterpiece. So, freeing Grace is the, the best thing to do. <laughs> when Grace is kind of like, this is kind of weird and lame. And Slink, God, I love the meta stuff, goes, You're right. It's not quite good enough for a commercial break. <laughs> and kicks Grace into the chest in the chest so she falls into the pit where the battle royale is taking place. And then it cuts to commercial. Mwah! Love that stuff. Love it so, so, so much. So funny. Uh, we come back and we get a fake commercial for Blood Drive, the board game. I kind of want to go back and like look it over and see if I can put together how to play this game and see if I can make my own Blood Drive, the board game. Because that sounds super fun. But yeah, Blood Drive, the board game we get a commercial for. And man, would I love to have played that. It's a game that's fun for dad and dad. So let's give Blood Drive one big hand. Uh, the Battle Royale is continuing. And uh, Karma's now in the Battle Royale as well. So everyone's, uh, all of our important characters are fighting in this Battle Royale, uh, including the couple. And the couple are having a ball as they are just slaying people. And they realize that soon this will be over. And they both can't fathom the idea of going back to the way things were because they had reconnected with one another and they fear that if they leave the race, 
that they'll fall back into old habits and that connection that they share will disappear. So they start to like dance together like they did on their wedding day. And they both admit they didn't want anyone to kill them besides the other one. And while dancing, they both take their knives and stab each other in the throats and die in each other's arms. And it's kind of nice. (laughs) And Slink cries. And it's a really satisfying ending to their story. So I dig it. I thought it was great. We cut back to Hart. Chris is pretending to be IT so he can get into that room. Uh, turns out that the security guards are talking shit. He was able to get past them rather easily. Uh, back in the the Battle Royale moment. Oh, what a great, great moment this is. Karma goes for a straight-up Goldberg spear. And we see it take place from Arthur's point of view. She hits the spear and it sends uh, Grace into the blood engine of the car and kills her. And Arthur goes into a rage. And they show Slink and Slink's like, oh my god, this is better than I could have ever imagined it. We then see the same scenario that just happened from Slink's point of view. And when Karma speared Grace, a man took a step and got caught (laughs) in in the crossfire. And it's his body that actually goes into the blood engine. So Arthur believes Grace is dead, even though we as the audience know that's not to be true. Slink announces round three, and Arthur goes mad. He's now killing everybody and heart sees what's happening so they quickly grab grace and they pull her out so that he never learns that uh grace is still alive grace is like screaming for him that he's she's still alive she's still alive and uh he doesn't hear it so he's now on like a blood rage in one of my absolute favorite parts of this is we have this moment where Abby the Nun is about to kill someone and he like crosses himself. He gives the, the sign of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit right before she's about to kill him. So she spares him. This is implying that Arthur's actions of sparing Abby was enough good to spread good to another person. And in taking that moment of mercy from Arthur, Abby has become more merciful. Because we would assume that Abby is from a blood drive from another country and would have to be one of the most ruthless people to make it this far. But that single act of good was good enough to change Abby. And it sends this great message of a single act of good is enough to spread good and more good will come of that. And Abby turns around and Arthur kills her. Because the loss of grace, the thing that was the loss of grace, the wordplay just kind of got me for the first time. But the loss of grace 
has snapped Arthur, and he has just forgotten all of his ways, kills Abby like it's nothing. Uh, we get another commercial uh, for uh, Blood Drive Toys. <laughs> we get, like, action figures. Even Slate with real top hat action! Cool. Which, of course, makes me think of Laura and I's favorite toy, which is J. Jonah Jameson with desk pounding action. It's just, it's, it's good parody right here. Uh, we also get a cutaway where uh, Chris and Aki are trying to deactivate this whole uh, tracking system. And they find the soul replicator, which is something that they, they had mentioned earlier in the show. What is a soul replicator? We never got an answer for it, but now we know. It's a thing filled with green goo. So we don't really know. But we at least know where it is. Uh, while Arthur is killing everybody, Grace is tied up and Karma is giving her the business about how mom and dad are gone and how, in Karma's mind, uh, Grace ruined her life. Grace took her to the party when she was trying to meet the primo that led to her being on red and then abandoned her in an asylum. So this is all karma's revenge uh, for being abandoned by grace. So the ultimate revenge for karma is she's going to leave grace tied up in this room and force her to watch her kill Arthur. So grace is helpless. Karma's got to fight Arthur and Arthur bit tired. You know, he drew early in this battle royal, Royal Rumble, and uh, Karma's coming in kind of fresh. In Arthur's mind, Grace is dead, so why not kill Karma? And there's also a bit of an element of if Arthur were to kill Karma, it would destroy Grace just as much if Karma were to kill Arthur. So it's, it's a nice little bit of storytelling. Of course, Grace escapes. <laughs> We get down to the last couple people as Karma and Arthur are fighting. And Karma, despite the fact that is continuously trying to kill Arthur and torture Grace, Grace still sees the good in her. So Grace is trying desperately to reason with these people, to reason with Arthur, to reason with Karma. Like, we can all just leave together and that's the goal that I want. Uh, that's not the goal that Karma wants or Arthur wants. So Karma ends up in the blood engine and we see her get ripped apart. We then cut back to Chris and Aki and Karma reappears like Terminator style, naked, covered in goo in the soul reclamator. So we don't have a, quite an idea of what exactly the soul replicator replicator does, but it keeps karma alive uh, because she went through the blood engine and got ripped to shreds, and yet here she is back at heart. Grace is like, sees Arthur, and Arthur sees Grace, and Arthur now realizes Grace is alive, still kills somebody else. Um, they then announce that there are no more partners. So they must crown a primo. And the only two people left are Arthur and Grace. 
Arthur's like, you heard the man. We have to f- crown a primo. And Grace is like, I'm not going to do that. And just walks out. Just leaves. It's heavy like Jerry at the Jerry daycare scenario. I'm leaving. Okay, then. That was always allowed. I didn't know he could just walk out of the Battle Royale. Slink realizes that this is his greatest work as we see the top three finishers. In third place, the dead bodies of the couple. In second place, the ripped-off skin of the man in white. And in first place, the primo, Arthur. I kind of like this idea that, like, they're being evaluated not on who won, but how entertaining they were. I think that's a fun little bit. Uh, Aki gives them medals, and Arthur, of course, gets the super cool jacket. And then Arthur, as he stands there, as they chant Primo at him, looks around, reaches into his pocket, pulls out the diary that has all the information about Hart and all the evidence he's collected, and he throws it into the blood engine, and it gets ripped to shreds. We then pull out really, really far to the point where it's like a a janitor just kind of cleaning. And then the title card comes up and says uh, Rise of Primo. And then it cuts to black, which I thought was very confusing. Like, I almost was wondering if they were trying to tell us, like, this is the ending we wanted. But then we... We're asked to do two more episodes, so the rest of this isn't canon. Because that was very much an ending to the Blood Drive section of Blood Drive. Like, the race is over, but there's going to be two more episodes of this series. And the whole time they're saying, like, season finale, season finale, season finale. I'm, I am curious if people actually didn't tune in the next week because they thought it had ended. <laughs> I'm very curious about that. But I do have a major issue that I have to discuss, and that's Arthur throwing the diary into the car and having it ripped to shreds. To me, that should be the biggest moment of the show. Arthur Dent. Arthur Dent? No, his name is not Arthur Dent. (laughs) Excuse me. Arthur is the... All good force in this show. He's supposed to be this, I wouldn't say uncorruptible, because he ends up with the Dionysus stream and all this other stuff, but he is the force of good, the light in the darkness throughout this entire show. And I think there's a major misstep with the Cronenberg episode. Because you had this nice arc when they did the spaghetti western and Arthur finally kills the sheriff. And it's kind of a moment of like, Arthur took a life, he's kind of lost his way. And then he has, we have the uh, the dream sequence episode where we learn all about the importance of the diary and the importance of taking down Hart and ha- why it's his life's work. For us to, like, have that all tied together in that nice bow there. And then have the Cronenberg episode where he's willing to give it all up for this 
peaceful life in this town by the, the scar and Grace has to snap him out of it really hurts this moment. I think it would work so much better if when we did the Cronenberg episode, Grace and Arthur's positions were switched. Were switched because Grace has lost karma at this point. She believes karma is dead. So she doesn't have a reason to keep racing. Like, the bombs are out of their heads at this point. She could then look and be like, maybe I could just start a life here, a peaceful life here. And even though it's like a gas that makes you see what you want to see, it would be so much stronger character moment if Arthur would come in, be affected by the gas, and and still be like, as nice as it is here, I know what the filth is out there. And I can't live in peace here, knowing what's out there. This is all an illusion of peace when there's really madness out there. And then you could play on the double meaning of like, even though this place isn't an actual like Garden of Eden paradise, even if it was, it would still be fake knowing what's going on out there. And then we see this whole thing of when presented with an escape, Arthur's the one who refuses to take it. And then this moment where he is now snapped, he is now broken, he throws away the the diary would really mean something because we have now spent the episodes prior building the strength of it through the Spaghetti Western, the Dream Sequence episode, and Cronenberg, rather than this kind of up-and-down relationship we have with it. Uh, I don't have a lot of critical things to say about this show, but I really feel like the Cronenberg episode is a step in the wrong direction. It's not a bad episode on its own. I just think where it's slotted in the series, it does a lot of bad things to the character of Arthur that hurts these payoffs in this episode. Episode 12, The Face of Blood Drive. This is very special uh, because I watched episode 12 and episode 13 with some of the patrons. So we watched it together. And while I have seen this before, it had been a while. So there was a lot of stuff I didn't remember. But there was also a few moments where I was like, I can't wait for people to see this. We start in a limousine. Arthur is the primo, and he is now with Slink and some other producer-like character. And despite the fact that the plug has been pulled on Blood Drive, Arthur's still a star because of the events of the Blood Drive, to the point where he's almost ranked above Slink, or at least it's creating that feeling where it's all about keeping the primo happy. He's the primo. Oh my God, the primo. There's this moment where someone asks, he gets out of the limo and someone asks him for a tattoo. So he tattoos the word primo on his forehead and then goes, enjoy it, buddy. (laughs) But know this, from here on out, every girl you bone will be pretending it's me. (laughs) Which is wild. Grace arrives to try to like talk to, talk some sense into Arthur. It's been a week. Arthur! You need to talk to me. It's been a week. It's been one week since he's been primo, and he's already just like, mega superstar, this is my life now. And Grace is like, 
you've changed. And Arthur responds with, yeah. Oh, I know who I am, Grace. And I'm fucking fabulous. Which is what Slink said back in the Spaghetti Western episode. And I was like, is this meant to imply that Slink is a former primo? The answer to that question is a hard no, based on what's about what's coming. A lot of things kind of fall apart in this upcoming episode in terms of things making sense. I just think it's very clear that they meant him to say that in that he's becoming more like Slink, uh, in that he uses the same phrasing that Slink uses. But I, I don't know if it's accomplishing what they mean to accomplish. And then Christopher shows up. Hey, Christopher's here. So now, for the first time, we got Arthur and Christopher in the same room. This is going to be interesting. Arthur's surrounded by women. He's going to take the stage. And as he's on stage, he gives this big speech. And Slink is saying the words along with him. You know, like that one part of the producers? But it's meant to imply that whole feeling of the director creates but doesn't get to take the stage. So it's telling this really nice dynamic of, like, Slink really wishes to be in that spotlight, to be the god of the stage, but really he's created this star. So he, Arthur's getting the credit for the thing that Slink created. It's a great little, like, actor-director dynamic that I love. And... Arthur asks, who wants to fight the Primo? <laughs> and it's just an open challenge. and People can come up, and Arthur's just punching people out. And in a, a fantastic callback, the old lady he beat up with the walker, like, way, way back in episode, like, seven, shows up in a wheelchair <laughs> and just gets beaten up. Awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Uh, while this is happening, this exec is trying to talk to Slink about uh, doing more with Blood Drive. Now that Blood Drive's a huge uh, success, uh, he gives him like that corporate, you just pass me the ball and I'll run it across the finish line. And then they just cut and the exec's head is on a spike. And they're like, nah, I don't see that happening. Fun. After the open challenge is over, the primo, Arthur, is back in his, like, tent, his little area. And Christopher shows up, and they kind of hug. And Christopher's offered a primo IPA, which is super hoppy, which is a nugget nectar in my mind. Glub, glub. And Christopher is kind of, like, questioning Arthur now. Like, hey, you know, this isn't you. What happened to the good cop? And so eloquent is Arthur. He says, well, being bad ain't bad. What a terrible line. <laughs> I think it's a really, really dumb line. Uh, but this whole time, Arthur has like a new way of speaking that is almost like it's in verse. Like, like there's a more of a rhythm to it. And I'll get to my guess to why that's happening uh, a little bit later. And they pay homage to the past primos. And it turns out that the past primos are all sacrificially killed. This is where I have a problem. 
if all the primos are killed, what about all that other stuff that happened in the show? Because, like, they show basically that uh, one of the primos was, like, lowered into a pit of acid or a, a barrel of acid. Uh, one was killed, I think, they hit her with a car. They hit him with, like, a helicopter or something. If all the primos, a week after the blood drive has ended, are killed, one, how does Grace know about the primo in the episode where she flashes back with karma? How does she know about the primo? Why does she think the primo is powerful? And how is the primo even there at the party? Like, that whole, like, crux of the show doesn't make a lot of sense now because Karma knows that the Primo is important. But apparently the Primo is not important. It's just a sacrificial lamb. So that already doesn't make sense. There's also the whole fact that when Christopher was just a mailroom guy and he tries to scan his way into the Chamber of Secrets, it says that the only people who can enter are the CEO, the vice president, security guards, and the primo, implying that the primo is a person of power. So for them to just suddenly be like, oh yeah, by the way, we just killed the primo, it doesn't make any sense. I kind of like the idea of it is a class system that is so separate that the highest rank you can be in the lower class is the primo and that's just a person who dies i like the narrative storytelling of that like yeah th there's no bridging the gap if you're the lower class you're not making it to the upper class it is impossible but i think this is throwing away a lot of other stuff they established and if that's the way you were going to do it you have to get rid of that other stuff. You have to get rid of Grace thinking the Primo is a way to get Karma into college. You have to get rid of the Primo having access to Heart Enterprises. That's just not true anymore, uh, based off of this information. Uh, we then get the Ballad of Karma, and Karma explains that she faked her death, this is her words, uh, faked her death to escape the Lesbos. If you remember... Uh, the Amazons that were in the spa, they told Grace that Karma was dead. So we now know that that was a lie that Karma created to escape so she could continue her ways here uh, in a search for power. Uh, the Ballad of Karma is basically, it looks like a school project. Like, it's a documentary being made by, like, a student film crew where they're following around Karma as she attempts to, like, move up the ladder of heart. And we'll cut back and forth to that while we're dealing with the Arthur thing. But in this first part, Karma's in, like, a limo, and she's being offered by Heart Enterprises the opportunity to get revenge on her sister, which is why she agrees to do it. And she's like, I'll do it, but I have to kill this cameraman. And they're like, what? She just kills the cameraman for fun. <laughs> Meanwhile, Arthur is trying to kill Slink because he feels if he kills Slink, they won't kill him. Chris tries to convince Arthur, like, let's just run away. Let's just escape and we won't have to deal with it. But Arthur's the primo and he doesn't believe in that anymore. So he grabs a big 
sword, like a giant sword. And he calls the sword his real partner because Christopher doesn't want to fight. He then takes the sword, sneaks up behind Slink, and decapitates him. <laughs> so Slink just dies. And Arthur says something like, poetic. It's at this point that I'm realizing it's Primo Arthur with a big sword. It is Primo. What's another good word for Primo? I don't know. King. King Arthur with like an Excalibur. I think this is meant to reference Arthurian legend. Uh, I'm not really well-versed in King Arthur's court in terms of its mythology, but Primo Arthur with the sword, it it seems a bit on the nose, so that's what I'm guessing. I don't know if this is re referencing something in particular uh, in terms of Arthurian legend, but I think that's what's being referenced here. We then cut back to the Ballad of Karma, where the students are still filming uh, Karma, despite the fact she killed one of the cameramen, and she is interviewing for a top spot on the board at Heart Enterprises. And some guy gets the spot before she's even called in. And the guy is like, oh, what, did you want this spot? You didn't think you had a chance, did you? Aww. Oh, sorry, sweetheart, but pink polish don't belong in the boardroom. Boop. Which I love this line because we know what's coming. But this is a great, like, little hint of what's coming. Karma, not to be denied, bursts into one of the science labs and finds the human flesh generator and just sticks her arm in it. And it immediately starts to put flesh over her own so she can become a different person. We all know what's coming, but it's good to see the backstory of this. We are now the team of Arthur, Grace, and Chris. Uh, Grace's team, Revenge and Justice. Christopher's team, Running Away. They just want different things out of Arthur. Uh, and as they're arguing, we see like a factory full of slinks and the slink just becomes active. So slink's a robot. We know now, like just like Aki, slink is in fact a robot. <laughs> Arthur continues to speak in rhyme to the frustration of the patrons who are listening. And you know that happy life you always wanted with me? Now's the chance to make that your reality. Forget heart. Be my queen and rule this wasteland with me as primo royalty. As they're arguing, an electric net falls on them <laughs> so that they are all captured and Slink returns like, oh, you think you can't, uh, you think you can just get away from me? Ha <laughs> ha, Slink to the rescue. Uh, at this point, I'm not sure if I said this or if one of the patrons said this, but what happened to the $10 million? The whole point of this was that not you didn't become primo. It was that you also got $10 million. Grace wanted that money to help her sister. Like, the money was part of this, and that's just never mentioned again. I thought that was a bit lame. We see Arthur is basically tied to this chair, and Grace and Christopher are welded into a car, and... Slink says something along the lines of, 
the signs were in front of you the whole time that this is what was going to happen. And my first thought was they were. I feel like I found a lot of evidence that this is not what was going to happen. So, like, I never saw anything implying that the Primo was just killed. And that line in particular makes me feel like I missed something. But I don't know. I just, I don't, there's nothing about this that felt, I, I don't know. Th this felt really unrewarding to, for them to be like, oh, yeah, it's, we just kill them. However, it is explained to Grace that he is going to be felled or, or thrown into a soul reclamator. Okay? So basically the idea is they realize that blood, that's powerful. But soul energy, way more powerful than blood. So they are going to feed Arthur into the soul reclamator. And if he has completely purged himself of his soul, it won't do anything to him, and he'll just tumble out the other side. This is great information because it is telling us that karma has no soul, which is why the soul reclamator was able to save her in the previous episode. She's completely soulless. And now we're in this very interesting situation where we as the audience, we really like Arthur. Because he was the uh, the sole being of good throughout this entire show. But now we kind of have to cheer that he is purely evil in order to save his life. It's a cool position to put us in the audience in. Because we're like, ooh, is Arthur pure evil now? Or is there still goodness in him? Could that goodness actually be destroyed? And we're going to find out if there's any good left in him. And if there is, he's dead. Like, it's a very interesting situation. Back in the Ballad of Karma, we see the man in white, who we now know as Karma, kill everybody in the board. And while, he, uh, while she, yeah, the man, while she, the man in white, uh, is killing everybody, we hear kind of like this overlayer of her voice and the man in white's voice, which is super well done, as she kills everybody. And it all pays off with the whole no pink paws in the boardroom. It's wonderful now that we see her painting her nails pink as the man in white in the boardroom. Ah, oh, the show's good. Grace and Chris are uh, in, in the car, the welded-in car. And <laughs> for some reason, they use the phrase... I want to be in here as much as I want a root canal, which is super confusing because there's a whole thing about root canals being Slink's kink earlier when he was putting the drill in his mouth and stuff. It's just, it's weird wording and like it's a weird callback that doesn't work right. Grace makes Chris pee on, a, on like a shirt uh, because once it's wet, she can wrap it around the bars and bend them so that she can get out, which is great information to learn. So at least, if nothing else, this episode was uh, educational. <laughs> There's a great, like, moment between Grace and Slink where Grace is trying to stop. Well, after she escapes the car, she calls Slink a piece of shit. 
and he responds, I know. And it's similar to the Han Solo Princess Leia, I love you, I know. (laughs) I was like, that's a weird reference to throw in here, but I love it. While Grace is dealing with Slink, Christopher's trying to free uh, Arthur. When he frees Arthur, Christopher, using his robot eye, shows a video of things Grace said in the welded car that are recut to make it look like Grace hates Arthur and is like, we hate, see, she hates you. We should just leave. And we were all on the call watching this going, that didn't make sense. Why did that happen? It, it makes semi-sense later, but it's definitely a jarring moment. Arthur, of course, doesn't want to leave because of this. He wants to now kill Grace. So Grace and Arthur are having a fight, and Slink is, like, losing his mind, screaming at the cameras to make sure that he gets all the shots. So he'll call for a shot, and then we'll see it. So, like, he's live calling the shots that we're actually seeing. This is beautifully done. Super awesome. Super, super, super awesome. Slink says, thank God for improvisation. And as an improv guy, that's something I've never heard. So I was like, oh, wow. Someone being pro-improv. Cool. Grace turns out better fighter than Arthur after all of this. Gets the blade right up to his throat. And Arthur says, I won't beg. And Grace, of course, shows mercy. So... Christopher shows up and is like, nah, screw this. Kill her. You know, you got to kill her. You got to do it. You got to do it. And he turns around, Arthur turns around and kills Christopher. And a bunch of colorful goo comes out rather than blood. And it turns out that it's not the real Christopher. It's a robot clone of Christopher. The real Christopher and Aki are in a cell so at, back at Heart Enterprises. When Grace looks over and goes, how'd you know that wasn't the real Christopher? Arthur goes, I didn't. Arthur is choosing Grace over his partner, Christopher. And at that moment, it didn't matter that it was or wasn't the real Christopher. All that mattered was Grace. There's a few problems with this. Uh, if you were doing this whole thing that this was not the real Christopher uh, and you wanted Arthur to like relate to this Christopher he's unaware that Christopher now has a robot eye so why did you give him a robot eye? Why didn't, you, why didn't you just make him look like his partner? Right? Also if that's a robot What do we know about robots in this universe? They throw up pretty colors. And, as we learned from Slink, they don't have genitalia. So how'd he pee on the shirt so they could get out? That little thing right there really bothered me. It really bothered me that, like, we we came this whole way of a show that I just absolutely loved. And then in this episode, I'm like, wait a minute, things aren't making sense anymore. What? You, you built this world. Why, why are you breaking your world by having Christopher be a robot here and having the primo not really be a title? Eh, eh, it just bothered me. 
with the violence over, uh, nobody wants to stick around for the love story between Arthur and uh, Grace. And Slink's like, you know what? I'm done with Hard Enterprises. Let's go to the center of Hard Enterprises and let's blow it up. So we're kind of left with this last moment of we have this team of Arthur, Slink, and Grace, and they're headed to Hart Enterprises where Karma is. And Karma has the humanized Aki and the real Christopher in a cell and shows Christopher Arthur killing the Chris bot, saying, like, I didn't know it was a robot. Christopher is so hurt by this that he asks for all the upgrades so that he can kill Arthur now. All the, not all the upgrades, all the mods. That's going to be an important word later. Yes, for all the mods. So we are going to have the team of Slink, Grace, and Arthur taking on the team of Karma, a reluctant Aki, and a souped-up Christopher. And that will be our final showdown at the center of heart. I have to pee so bad. And now it's time for the final episode of Blood Drive. It's time for the finish line. We open with the population of New York City. And it's basically split up into two groups, those that work for Hart and those that are in the blood uh, fracking tubes. And basically, all of New York is in blood fracking tubes. The city is basically abandoned. And the only people that you see running around are drug addicts, and their blood is so tainted that it is not usable. So it's very apocalyptic. Like, there are only two types of people, fuel and employees. It's a very dark, grim version of the future. But don't fret, we have our heroes Grace, Arthur, and Slink heading to Heart to bring down the heart of this company uh, by leading them to their main building to destroy it. Arthur's driving, which is the first time he's been allowed to drive, which I think is a nice little... Uh, way to display the growth of the relationship of Grace and Arthur. Uh, Slink mentions he writes fan fiction, which I thought was funny. And somebody, I forget who it is, basically uses the phrase, this is the final level. So basically, the last three episodes of Blood Drive, we had our Battle Royale, then we had our Arthurian legend, and now our final episode is a video game. They bust into Hard Enterprises to find basically everyone dead. There's just bodies, saloon, everywhere. And the receptionist, way back from, what was that, episode two, is there uh, saying, Hard Enterprises, please hold, over and over again. And I immediately think, who's calling? (laughs) Who could possibly be calling? Everyone's in the tubes. Slink kills her to reveal that she's, in fact, a robot and screams, She never validated my parking. So the plan is they are going to go through hard enterprises and put the bombs that had been used to threaten the racers all over the building until they can, they've placed enough 
to take down the whole building. Slink explains that it's not based on normal reality, this building, and it almost folds in on itself, gets a little inception-y. And there's a moment where the three of them end up meeting themselves. And I, I couldn't figure this out. There's a moment where they're asking, like, how can this be possible? And Slink says something like, you'd understand if you'd listen to my monologues. And a question is asked, and Slink responds with a non sequitur. How can we be in both places at once? Exactly. Shall we? I think this is meant to imply that what is being said and what is being heard is different, at least in the mind of Slink. Because Slink lives in this kind of meta-reality where he's more aware that he's in a television show than the rest of the characters, that I think he's more aware of the different types of presences of these characters and maybe hears Grace and Arthur from a different reality in response to that. I know it's a bit of a stretch, and I was really hoping that I could have a good theory of what was actually being responded to here, but I couldn't find any evidence, and I tried to put it together, but it just wasn't there, and I apologize. As they're running through the, the twisty turns, uh, Slink says, no, not that way, and they are teleported back to the lobby, except now all the bodies are gone. And Slink yells, great, now we have to start over. Again, kind of creating that video game feeling of we started here and then we have to restart because of a mistake. Like you're starting back over at level one. So again, very video game feely. Uh, this leads to an argument between our main characters and Slink gets impatient and says, Remember me? Hi. Uh, so the, they have to start over, so they're going to do a new... They're going to try a new tactic. While we're waiting for them to start this new tactic, we get a cutaway to Christopher, who is entirely in bandages, being cared for by Aki. They're basically explaining that Christopher got all the modifications and is healing from surgery, and he kind of looks like the father from Harvester, I know that's a weird reference, but the game Grumps just played it, so hopefully this reaches some of you. He's just head-to-toe bandages. They are then, our heroes, uh, are in this, like, back staircase. And it's apparently where the Akibots go. And since no one cares about the Akibots, there's no cameras, there's no sensors or anything like that. So Karma doesn't see them. We have this disagreement in the staircase of what they're going to do. The goal is unclear if it's just to bring down heart or if they're going to save karma. And they go over the whole idea that karma has no soul. That's why the soul reculator, however you say it, worked on her. But because Grace can't let go of the fact that that's her sister, she's like, no, we're here to save karma and arthur's like i'm with grace no matter what she got me this far so we are going to split up and slink sets a timer for them and says if you can get karma out of here in a half an hour sure you're fine but i'm blowing this building up in a half hour with or without you in it again 
that kind of like here's an arbitrary timer. It creates a very uh, video game feel. It's very last level of Metroid. Also, the staircase, this is probably not intentional, but it's just a thing I felt. It felt very much like Final Fantasy VII. There's a part in Final Fantasy VII where you have to enter the Shinra building, and your choices are to fight your way up or sneak your way up. If you fight your way up, you have to do a bunch of like battles and things like that. If you sneak your way up, you have to actually climb, I think it's like 70 flights of stairs. And it's just 70 flights of nothing interesting happening. And, like, there's a few lines that Tifa and Barrett will say of, like, huff, puff, oh, this is far. But that's all that happens. I kind of felt like this was invoking it. I don't know if it's intentional, like I said, but the idea that they do it the first time and there's all this interesting... Uh, encounters of where they run into themselves and the fabric of reality being folded over itself. And then on the second attempt, they're like, screw it, we'll take the stairs. It it, it invoked it in me. Uh, I don't know if you agree with me, but I wanted to say it because it's my show. So Slink is down in the basement and he's finds a survivor. One person in heart that has lived through this attack that has gone down by karma. And Slink's like, hey, I swear I will avenge you. I'll make her pay for all that she's done. For destroying the labs, for killing all the employees, for cutting you in half. Did you come in here? I'm cutting half pretty bad. And then Slink just leaves him. Then this is the moment I was all, I was waiting for the whole time when I was watching this with the patrons. The door to the boardroom opens up and they are fully expecting karma to like attack them. And they walk in and it's peaceful. And Arthur says, oh, I guess Slink was wrong. And then karma jumps out and shoots Arthur in the chest and he explodes. And the patrons were just like, whoa, they just kill him? Loved it. It was so good. It was so good. That's good enough for a commercial break. Uh, So they cut to a flashback to Grace and Karma when they're kids. And they're trying to escape their father because their father is a drunk and doesn't treat them very well. So they're driving away in the car, the car from the show. uh, And... Karma's looking for any Taylor Swift to listen to, which I thought was funny. Karma says, like, I'm the favorite daughter. They named the car after me. And Grace says, they had the car first. You should do the math, which I thought was a nice little joke. And it just shows that there was, like, a relationship between these two that was, like, very loving. And then it cuts back to them in the boardroom and they're fighting. So, like, it's a good juxtaposition of, like, this is what Grace is fighting for, but that person's not here anymore. Karma is soulless and evil. And despite this, they fight and they fight and they fight. And Grace can't do it. She still can't kill her sister. Grace realizes that Karma is a bitch. Karma's a bitch. And she shoots herself. 
It's very clear to me that they wrote the line, Karma is a bitch, like, first. Like, that might have been the first idea that James Rowland had (laughs) for this show. And then they just wrote the show around it. Because, of course, that's the line they're going to use. Turns out that gun that had killed Arthur and Grace used to shoot herself was not a murder gun, but a transporter gun. Which, again, video games, you get shot in the chest and then you respawn somewhere else. I like it. So they they find themselves to be in the basement, which is also where Slink is. Slink's running around the basement, and Karma over the loudspeaker reveals that... She has destroyed all the backups of Slink and tells Slink that for the first time you have something to fear. Death. If you die, there will not be another Slink. This is the end for you. And you may be thinking that you don't have enough time to get these bombs in and get out. So are you willing to take down Heart at the expense of your own life? And in a fantastic moment, Slink, surrounded by the destroyed corpses of himself, picks up his own head and says, To be or not to be, that is the question. Which is, of course, a reference to Hamlet. Of course, that is not the line that is said when Hamlet is holding a skull. The line he says when he's holding the skull is, Alas, poor Yorick, I knew him well. Except no, that's also not the line. That is a common misconception. The actual line that he should be saying is, Alas, poor Yorick, I knew him Horatio. And that is Shakespeare facts. Despite the fact that it is the incorrect line, it is still a very effective tableau. So I still really appreciate this. It's some good character work for Slink. And Slink is still going to bring down Heart Enterprises, even if it will cost him his last life. Again, video games. Uh, Arthur (laughs) Arthur is running around in the basement, runs across the same cut-in-half man, and says, Hey, by any chance, did you see a man in a top hat He looks like a magician. So that made me think of the IT crowd, of course. Uh, Lots of just funny lines in this last uh, bit of the show. He finds the dead bodies of Slink, thinks Slink is dead, when all of a sudden he is attacked by Super Chris. Chris is now basically the nemesis from Resident Evil. They keep saying he got all the mods, so... The, idea, the use of the word mod. I mean, they could have used upgrade, I guess, as well. But modding a game, it's just keeping with the video game uh, pastis. This leads to a flashback where we see the relationship between Chris and Arthur, where uh, Arthur is upset that a girl broke up with him. We see Chris with Fast Food Girl. Remember Fast Food Girl? The girl that Arthur helped her land, or helped Chris land, uh, and he got the phone number on, like, a soda. They're still together. And despite the fact that Chris has somebody, he'd rather stay with Arthur because they're partners and they're friends. So, again, we're trying to build this very strong relationship. We cut back and they're fighting. 
So this is just a common thing that this episode is doing is like showing us that the people who are at odds and being violent against each other are people that love each other. And due to the circumstances of the blood drive and what has happened to them and the corruption of heart enterprises, these two people who loved and cared for each other are now trying to kill each other. It's great uh, visual uh, parallels. It's very nicely done. So we we get another like interesting uh, flashback that that's coming up as well that that doesn't fit this parallel though. Uh, because we have Slink walking into the heart of Heart Enterprises. He is in the basement. There's like a blood uh, column in the center that if he destroys that, everything will go down. He enters singing, I'm a Yankee Doodle Dandy. I'm a Yankee Doodle Dandy. Yankee Doodle. Which I think is very funny. Uh, since he called himself a dandy the whole show and the idea of this being American and so upbeat. It's like the most upbeat song (laughs) that he could choose. And he's just, it's, God. Oh, man, the performance of Slink is so well done. And we see a flashback of Slink waking up for the first time. This is super important. He wakes up and he immediately kills somebody and then makes like a... Huge request because he's like a diva. And the doctors who woke him up are like, oh, he just keeps doing this. And then it's the missing Aki scene that I was talking about from a few episodes ago. It's the scene where the doctors are looking at an Aki bot saying there's still humanity in her. Well, that's dangerous. Well, she'd have to have an orgasm like she could figure that out. And as soon as I saw that, and I was watching with the patrons, they were all (laughs) with me going, this is the scene! This is the scene! So, excuse me for thinking it was cut out. It just happened way later than I remembered. But again, I find it really interesting because they're showing that all the love in the show has led to violence, right? So the love between Grace and Karma has led to this violent fight. The love between Arthur and Chris has led to this violent fight. Neither of them are romantic love. The romantic love in this show is between Aki and Chris, and also Arthur and uh, Grace, but we're not talking about that right now. Uh, the romantic love is between Aki and Christopher, and we've been told like to believe in this love story because the love has restored the humanity to... Aki, but in truth, it is an orgasm, and it is purely chemical and a glitch (laughs) that saves Aki. It is not the power of love. And to kind of take that away from us is great. I love that they're like, nah, it's not... It's not the power of love. It's not, you know, Rapunzel's tears (laughs) that that save uh, Flynn. It's purely just an orgasm. I'm so sorry I compared Tangle to Blood Drive. That seems inappropriate. I'm glad Lara's not part of this episode. (laughs) She would be upset. So, for extra flair, Slink puts the bombs in a heart shape because of course he does. Aki shows up. The real Aki. The one, the Aki who is in love with Christopher. And basically tells 
uh, Slink, like, deactivate the bombs. You're going to kill Christopher. I only care about Christopher. Deactivate the bombs. It's all that I care about. And Slink won't do it. Slink is like, no, I'm sorry. I just, I can't do that. This is a great line. Just because you're human doesn't mean you're good. And it's true. Like, we are supposed, we were told that, like, Aki is acting out of love. But it's, it's not really. It's, her actions here are selfish. It's all about her keeping the thing she wants, which is Christopher. And she's blinded by her love for Christopher, that that is all that matters, that all other morals are gone. So Aki, who believes she is in true love, and you know what? She might be in love. Like, yes, it is the orgasm that changes her humanity, but she might also actually have feelings for Christopher. It might be actual love. But doing something for love does not mean it is morally good. Really love this. Really, really love it. Uh, Aki then paralyzes Slink. Uh, Slink then gets punched in the spine by Aki, and Slink lets out like this horrible scream uh, because Slink is paralyzed. And Aki lets Slink know that he is going to die here. So we're, we're nearing the end because everyone's in super, super uh, peril. Uh, super... Christopher and Arthur are fighting. Arthur's throwing everything he's got at him. He's electrocuting uh, Christopher. He kicks him in the crotch, only to discover that he doesn't have balls anymore. Uh, And Arthur's like, what's the point of all this power if you got no dick? And Christopher's real bummed out by it. This whole segment's a little bit tough because there's too much strobe. It's a little distracting how much strobe light there is here. Christopher says the primo fights like a girl. And of course, Grace shows up and kicks ass then. This all builds to a fantastic scene. I really love this scene. After they impale Christopher uh, to the point where he is probably dead, they end up finding Slink and get sealed in with him. The doors lock, and Karma locks them into this room, and Karma's like, I don't care. You know, I'm just glad you're going to die in here. And Grace says... Karma, I want you to know that boy you liked Lucas, he asked for my number, which is like (laughs) really hurtful. And it was nice that Grace is finally snapping out of it. Like, all right, I'm I'm taking her down a peg. (laughs) They are sealed in this room. They are surely going to die. And they're going to just like sit down and accept it so their last moment can be together. When Arthur gets an idea and he goes, wait a minute, I'm going to do a little trick that the scholar showed me. And he basically electrocutes himself so that he can complete a circuit to open the door. This is something that we saw in the Pixie Swallow episode. And it's good to see the scholar getting a shout out so late into the show. The door swings open and they realize that there's only 20 seconds to get out. So even though the door's open, it's not enough time for them to leave. So in a passionate embrace, they prepare for the inevitable. And Slink just is like, I could turn off the timer. <laughs> and they're like, what? It's like, oh yeah, I could, I could turn off the timer. It's no big deal. 
<laughs> Which is like it's so good because he's he's the 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 god of the stage. Of course, there's got to be some panache. So he's like, I've been cheering for you the whole time. I always hoped you would make it. That being said, I'm not going to make it easy for you. And he turns the timer back on, but gives them five minutes to escape, which is so good. <laughs> it is so, so good. And then as Grace and Arthur are running away, we get a close-up of Slink. And Slink is scared for the first time. And he says, is this what those people felt like? When I was about to kill them. Is this how they felt? And then there's a beat. I wish I had my hat. So good. Oh my God, I love this show. So we are led to believe that Karma used this special remote that she has to open a blood gate so she could leave. Arthur and Grace just need to escape. So five minutes left. It is full on. Mother brain is dead. We got to get out of here and get back on our ship. They run up the stairs. They make it all the way to the lobby. And Karma jumps out of nowhere and just stabs Grace. This leads to more fighting. Arthur won't leave Grace, who is hurt. Uh, Time is, is getting away. We are building, building, building. Time is running out. Arthur is fighting Karma. Grace is bleeding out. Arthur gets the remote away so he can open the blood gate now. Time is running out. Uh, time runs out. Arthur's like, Slink's not going to do it. He's, he's too full of himself. And Slink goes over a loudspeaker and like, before I blow us all up, a short monologue. He's like, oh, he's definitely going to do it after this monologue. He loves the showmanship. Uh, they are... Desperately trying to get out. Grace bleeding. Arthur opens a blood gate. And debris falls on top of Karma. And Grace can't leave Karma again. Because she knows in that moment, if she were to leave Karma, Karma would have been right. She would have died feeling like she was right. My sister abandoned me. So she just can't do it. So she kicks Arthur through the blood gate. We see Karma and Grace together. We see Aki crying rainbows <laughs> as she's over the body of Christopher. And then the camera zooms in on Slink's face. And he says, End scene. And the building explodes, presumably killing everyone inside. We then see, washed upon a rock, the body of Arthur, who stands up, walks towards the beach, and we see a sign that says, Blood Rock Prison. Credits. So I got a few things I really got to say. First and foremost, the shot that we have of Arthur on the rock almost exactly is the same shot as Pinocchio on the rocks. (laughs) 
I, I know I said that in the Pinocchio episode, but I got to bring it up here. The end of Pinocchio and the end of Blood Drive have like similar framing. Uh, and this was clearly a sequel hook. The Blood Drive is over, but Arthur has escaped and he is now at Blood Rock Prison. Now, I did a little bit of research. Noah did, Noah did, Noah did some research. And this is, who this bothers the hell out of me. Uh, we were, we asked Josh Rowland, who seems to have gotten rid of his Twitter, uh, but through use of the Wayback Machine, I was able to find some information about uh, Blood Drive and what the future was going to hold. He said in an interview that this is, this is going to bum you out, <laughs> so get, get on board, that the plan was always for the next season of Blood Drive to be Blood Rock Prison and follow the life <laughs> after Blood Drive of Arthur in Blood Rock Prison. It would feature a twist like nothing ever seen on television. I don't know exactly what that is, but that's what it was claimed. It would feature a twist like nothing ever seen before on television. Then they would escape from the prison. You know, the new characters and Arthur would escape Blood Rock Prison and meet up with the leftover characters from Blood Drive Season 1 that had been left behind for Season 3. So yes, they planned for a Season 2, but they also planned for a Season 3. There was supposed to be at least two more seasons of this. And that, that, my friends, is so crushing. Now... James Rollin, who was the the creator of this show, was asked, like, is there any chance we'll see a season two? And they tried to get a hashtag renew blood drive trending. And the issue was he loved sci-fi. He thought sci-fi was the only network that this show would have worked on. I felt like it was an HBO sh Showtime show. Uh, but the creator says it had to be sci-fi because they're the only ones with the stones to put this on. He says that he would like to do season two if possible, but for that to have happened, he would need to rent from sci-fi the three characters he would need. So he kind of let slip that there was three characters from Blood Drive who would appear in Blood Rock Prison. Now, we can assume one of them's Arthur. We pretty much know that for sure. I would guess the second one would be Aki, because Aki is an Aki bot. We already know that there are hundreds of her, so it would make sense that some of them are stationed in Blood Rock Prison. Who would then be the third? Well, I think I know that, because... I reached out to the man in white, uh, Sean Cameron Michael, and I asked him, do you think your character was a real person 
Or do you think it was just a skin suit, a nameless skin suit? And Sean says, it was always my hope that in season two, we do some flashbacks to reveal my character's backstory and how the switch came about. Or perhaps that my character was still alive, locked up in a chamber somewhere, and would finally be released and reappear down the line. To me, it sounds like the man in white would be in this prison. It makes a lot of sense to me that that's how this would turn out. That the prison would be where we discover this body. It would freak out Arthur, and then he'd have to put into his mind, like, this is a different person. But he would act as a constant reminder to all the things he had been through, even though he's a different person who wasn't actually there. But it would kind of be like a scarlet letter of sorts. I think that's brilliant. I think that's absolutely 100% brilliant. Uh, I also, through use of the Wayback Machine, uh, got this quote from from Roland, and whew, it got me a little emotional, but uh, I'll, I'll read it to you now. If I never get the chance to tell my version of what comes next, I'll be incredibly sad. But the good news is, then, you can make up your own. The story is yours now. It always was from the first moment it was broadcast. If you love it, take it. And play with it in your own imagination. I just think that's a really lovely thought for him to kind of work so hard on a pure passion project, something that he truly loved, and to view it in that light of it not being something he possesses, and it's something that us, the bleeders, own, I think is is very, very nice. Uh, In terms of other research, I did find a little bit of information about Ribbone. James on a a podcast says that uh, Ribbone, the actor playing Ribbone, was one of the first people they cast because they loved him so much. And... He decided, the actor, uh, decided on his own along with the costume designer to make the chains that he is wearing, those like biker chains, if you look at them, they're all dog chains. Because of that moment with Caligula where he kills the cannibal for leaving the dog in the car, the actor had already created a elaborate backstory about why he would do that. And his love for animals. And they hinted at that by making his chains dog chains. I love everything about this story. Uh, Because, one, it shows the freedom that the actors were given to really create something. So it was such a collaborative process, which makes you really respect this guy as a creator. That he, you know, something so personal that he's able to share like this is so incredible. And two, he says, I won't spoil what that was in case we were going, we explore it in season two. At the time of this interview, it was like mid seasons. They hadn't been canceled yet. Uh, So he is quoted as saying that just because you are dead and death is real in the world of blood drive, that doesn't mean your story is over. So there's a good chance that the next couple seasons were going to flat 
feature a lot of flashbacks to previous characters that we knew and loved. Uh, there's also a good chance that maybe Ribbone would have somehow been involved with the prison storyline. Like I said, like I picked up his jacket, which again is proving that like they put a lot of thought into it. Ribbone's jacket is the same as the security guards from Heart Enterprises. So there's a chance that maybe he was a guard at the prison and we would have seen like a flashback of something involving animals at the prison and that's why he had to leave. Uh, and you know what? The story is mine now. He said that. So that's canon. That's canon right now. I'm saying it right now. It belongs to me. That's what I came up with in my imagination. Uh, so to me, it is canon. Uh, the interesting thing about this show is I had to buy this on YouTube. It was uh, a YouTube. And you can also buy it on Amazon Prime, I believe. And iTunes. You can buy it off of uh, Apple. It's not streaming anywhere. And that actually is the nail in the coffin of this show. This show didn't do amazing in the ratings, but it did better than other shows that did not get canceled. And the reason that it did get canceled is they couldn't sell to a, quote, second window. If a Hulu or a Netflix had been interested in getting the rights to play it in a sort of syndication, there may have been a season two. But that lacking of streamability is the thing that's missing. It's also available on DVD, but the DVD has almost no special features, from what I understand. Uh, the only other thing I will want to say real quick is uh, the guy playing Arthur, uh, Alan uh, Richardson. Richardson? Richardson, uh, who I love now. I love Alan. He's my favorite actor. Uh, he is currently Jack Reacher. He was also on Fred the TV show as Expired Cow. Moo. You drank my milk. Now prepare to drink my wrath. Uh, he also was a contestant on American Idol, and they actually made like a big deal about him uh, being an attractive young male that... Uh, this is early American Idol, uh, Simon uh, and, uh, oh, what's the other guy's name? The, the two male judges leave and allow Paula to be seduced by Alan, and they end up, like, hugging and having to be pried apart. It's very entertaining. Uh, also, he was freaking Aquaman. Uh, I don't know if my love for Aquaman has ever been truly expressed on this show is that I just, I love the idea of Aquaman so, so much, but the Aquaman pilot, which was a spinoff of Smallville, it's like something reef. Uh, and he appears in Smallville as Aquaman, uh, was played by Alan. And this spinoff has been put on and removed from the Stay Doom schedule many times because we couldn't find it. We thought we found it, and there was only a couple minutes of it and all this other stuff. So the idea that Arthur was almost a Stay Doomed alumnist at this point is very funny. Uh, in terms of what I would guess season three would look like, uh, we still have the Scholar alive somewhere. So I would imagine the Scholar would be part of season three. Uh, we never really see a body for any of the people who die in the building. Uh, so I could totally see anyone from that building, whether it be Karma, Grace, Christopher, 
Slink himself. I could see them all coming back. Slink is too good of a character for him to be dead. Like, they could easily rebuild him, like, based off of scrap that they find in the rubble. He's too good of a character. Slink will live forever, in my opinion. Uh, as uh, for... What's, what's his name? Dalmatian Bite? Or Dalmatian Jaws himself. That was his username back when he was on Twitter. Uh, James Rollin, the creator of this. He went on to uh, help work on The Purge TV show. Which, I love The Purge uh, as, a, as a concept. The Purge is a way better film franchise than it has any right to be. Uh, the Purge is one of those films I really want to do a video essay about at some point. Uh, he worked on the, the TV show, which is a perfect place for him. And I listened to a couple podcasts that he was on where he explained like the collaborative process for that. He seems like a super awesome dude. He really does. He seems like he's a great person to collaborate with. He's got a great mind. And he's outside of that box. Uh, so... I love this show. I think it should come to no surprise to you that this is a stay tuned for me. I will even go as far as to say it's my favorite show that I've watched for Stay Doomed. If I had to bring one show back, I think I would bring back Blood Drive before I brought back Firefly. And I know that's blasphemy. And that is also... Because I know that Clone High is already coming back. <laughs> but Blood Drive is special. There is nothing like it on television, with good reason. But the love and care that is clearly put into this show is phenomenal. It reminds me of my favorite video game, Portal. Portal as a concept a puzzle game where you can shoot two portals that are a gateway through space and time is good enough on its own to be a video game. But they had the love and care to include the humor of Gladys in it. Grindhouse on television of just stupid violence and sexuality is enough to be a TV show. But the love and care and the careful, nuanced writing of Blood Drive something they didn't need to do. But they love this show. The people who created this, the people who acted in it, clearly loved this show. There was actually uh, something I read, I couldn't find it, but I remember when I first watched this show, that the actress playing Aki was having blood drive parties where you could watch blood drive with her to try to like stir up more interest in this show just because she had a good time doing it. This show is incredible. And... Again, I know it's not for everybody. I know that it might be too much for, for you personally in terms of blood and sexuality. But if you're hearing my voice right now and this show's not for you, thank you for giving it its due through this podcast. Because it deserves so much more recognition for its directing, for its writing, for its performance, for... It's tributes to other forms of media. And if it's too much for you to watch, thank you for experiencing it through me. And I am very glad that I could share this with you. And that's going to do it for this episode of Stay Doomed. 
Uh, this is coming out late, I know. Uh, but when this comes out, I'd imagine that by Wednesday, we'll be back in Razzy Month. And we'll be watching Good Morning, which is the Mod Son Machine Gun Kelly stoner comedy. Which is a bit different from what we were dealing with here. <laughs> so, I hope you enjoyed this. Uh, be sure to join our Patreon. We do watch-alongs on occasion now. Uh, so if you're at the $5 level, you can join our Discord, talk to us about stuff, and uh, have a little bit of input on the show itself through Watch It Alongs and through voting on what you'd like to see here on Stay Doomed. And thank you to Matthew for being a super special patron. If you want to talk to us, you can also reach out at the Stay Doomed Show at gmail.com or on Twitter at Stay Doomed. And if you want to talk to me about Blood Drive and what season two would look like because we own that show and what we say in our imagination is now canon. I'm at Plus Two Comedy. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, stay doomed. <laughs>